Hi, this is book three, episode 27 of Puritans Read, where we read great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Continuing today, The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, with chapter five, containing two conclusions. Concerning the characteristic signs aforementioned, I shall lay down two conclusions. Number one, these characteristics are a Christian's box of evidences. For as an impenitent sinner has the signs of reprobation on him, by which, as by so many spots and tokens, he may know he shall die, so whoever can show these happy signs of a godly man may see the symptoms of salvation in his soul, and may know he has passed from death unto life. John 5.24 He is as sure to go to heaven as if he were in heaven already. Such a person is undoubtedly a member of Christ, and if he should perish, then something of Christ might perish. These blessed characteristics may comfort a Christian under all worldly dejection and diabolical suggestions. Satan tempts a child of God with this, that he is a hypocrite and has no title to the land of promise. A Christian may pull out these evidences and challenge the devil to prove that any wicked man or hypocrite ever had such a good certificate to show for heaven. Satan may sooner prove himself a liar than the saint a hypocrite. Number two, whoever has one of these characteristics in truth has everything in embryo. Whoever has one link of a chain has the whole chain. Objection. But may a child of God say, Either I do not have all these characteristics, or else they are so faintly stamped in me that I cannot discern them. Answer. To satisfy this scruple, you must diligently observe the distinctions which Scripture makes between Christians. It puts them into several classes and orders. Some are little children who have only recently begun breastfeeding on the gospel. Others are young men who have grown up to more maturity of grace. Others are fathers who are ready to take their degree of glory. 1 John 2, 12-14 Now, you who are only in the first rank or class may still have the vitals of godliness, as well as those who have arrived at a higher stature in Christ. The scripture speaks of the cedar and the bruised reed, the latter of which is as true a plant of the heavenly paradise as the other. So the weakest ought not to be discouraged. Not all have these characteristics of godliness written in capital letters. If they are only faintly stamped on their souls, God can read the work of his spirit there. Though the seal is only faintly set on the wax, it ratifies the will and gives a real conveyance of an estate. If there is found just some good thing towards the Lord, as it was said of Abijah, God will accept it. 1 Kings 14, 13. Chapter 6. An Exhortation to Godliness. Those who are still in their natural condition, who have never yet relished any sweetness in the things of God, let me beseech them, for the love of Christ, to strive to get these characteristics of the godly engraved on their hearts. 
though godliness is the object of the world's scorn and hatred. As in Tertullian's days, the name of a Christian was a crime. Yet do not be ashamed to espouse godliness. Know that persecuted godliness is better than prosperous wickedness. What will all the world avail a man without godliness? To be learned and ungodly is like a devil transformed into an angel of light. To be beautiful and ungodly is like a lovely picture hung in an infected room. To be honorable in the world and ungodly is like an ape in purple, or like that image which had a head of gold on feet of clay. Daniel 2, 32 and 33. It is godliness that ennobles and consecrates the heart, making God and angels fall in love with it. Strive for the reality of godliness. Do not rest in the common workings of God's Spirit. Do not think that it is enough to be intelligent and discursive. A man may discourse of religion to the admiration of others, yet not feel the sweetness of those things in his own soul. The lute gives a melodious sound to others, but does not at all feel the sound itself. Judas could make an elegant discourse about Christ, but did not feel virtue from him. Do not rest in having your affections a little stirred. A hypocrite may have affections of sorrow, like Ahab, or affections of desire, like Balaam. These are slight and flashy and do not amount to real godliness. Oh, strive to be like the king's daughter, all glorious within. Psalm 45, 13. In order that I may persuade men to become godly, I shall lay down some forcible motives and arguments, and may the Lord make them like nails fastened by his spirit. A. Let men seriously weigh their misery while they remain in a state of ungodliness. It may make them run out of this Sodom. The misery of ungodly men appears in nine particulars. Number one, they are in a state of death, dead in trespasses, Ephesians 2, 1. Dead they must surely be who are cut off from Christ, the principle of life. For as the body without the soul is dead, so is the soul without Christ. This spiritual death is visible in the effect. It bereaves men of their senses. Sinners have no sense of God in them, who being past feeling, Ephesians 4, 19. All their moral endowments are only flowers strewn on a dead corpse. And what is hell but a sepulcher to bury the dead in? Number two. Their offerings are polluted. Not only the plowing, but the praying of the wicked is sin. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15.8 and 21.4 If the water is foul in the well, it cannot be clean in the bucket. If the heart is full of sin, the duties cannot be pure. What straits every ungodly person is in if he does not come to the ordinance. He despises it if he does not come. He defiles it. Number three, those who live and die ungodly have no right to the covenant of grace. 
At that time ye were without Christ, strangers from the covenants of promise. Ephesians 2.12 And to be without covenant is to be like anyone in the old world without an ark. The covenant is the gospel charter, which is enriched with many glorious privileges. But who may plead the benefit of this covenant? Surely only those whose hearts are inlaid with grace. Read the charter. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will be your God. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 28. A person dying in his ungodliness has no more to do with the new covenant than a plowman has to do with the privileges of a city corporation. God's writing always comes before his seal. Ye are declared to be the epistle of Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Here is a golden epistle. The writing is the work of faith. The tablet it is written on is the heart. The finger that writes it is the spirit. Now, after the spirit's writing comes the spirit's sealing. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13. That is, you were sealed with an assurance of glory. What have ungodly men those who have no writing, to do with the seal of the covenant. Number four, the ungodly are spiritual fools. I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly, and to the wicked, lift not up the horn. Psalm 75, four. If a parent had a child who was very beautiful, but a fool, he would take little joy in him. The scripture has dressed the sinner in a fool's coat, and let me tell you, better be a fool void of reason than a fool void of grace. This is the devil's fool, Proverbs 14, 9. Is not that man a fool who refuses a rich share? God offers Christ and salvation, but the sinner refuses this share. Israel would none of me, Psalm 81, 11. Is not that man a fool who prefers an annuity to an inheritance? Is not that man a fool who tends his mortal part and neglects his angelic part, as if a man should paint the wall of his house and let the timber rot? Is not that man a fool who will feed the devil with his soul, like that emperor who fed his lion with pheasant? Is not that man a fool who lays a snare for himself Proverbs 1, 18, who consults his own shame, Habakkuk 2, 10, who loves death, Proverbs 8, 36. Number five, the ungodly are vile persons. I will make thy grave for thou art vile, Nahum 1, 14. Sin makes men base, it blots their name, it taints their blood. They are altogether become filthy. Psalm 14, 3. In the Hebrew, it is they have become stinking. If you call wicked men never so bad, you cannot call them worse than their name deserves. They are swine. Matthew 7, 6. Vipers. 
Matthew 3, 7. Devils, John 6, 70. The wicked are dross and refuse, Psalm 119, 119. And heaven is too pure to have any dross mingled with it. Number six, their temporal mercies are continued in judgment. The wicked may have health and estate, yes, more than heart can wish, Psalm 73, 7. But their table is a snare, Psalm 69, 22. Sinners have their mercies with God's leave, but not with his love. The people of Israel would have been better without their quails than to have had such sour sauce. The ungodly are usurpers. They lack a spiritual title to what they possess. Their good things are like cloth picked up at the drapers, which is not paid for. Death will bring a sad reckoning at last. Number seven, their temporal judgments are not removed in mercy. Pharaoh had 10 arrows shot at him, 10 plagues, and all those plagues were removed. But as his heart remained hard, those plagues were not removed in mercy. It was not a preservation, but a reservation. God reserved him as a signal monument of his justice when he was drowned in the depths of the sea. God may reprieve men's persons when he does not remit their sins. The wicked may have sparing mercy, but not saving mercy. Number eight. The ungodly, while they live, are exposed to the wrath of God. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. John three thirty six. Whoever lacks grace is like someone who lacks a pardon. Every hour he is in fear of execution. How can a wicked man rejoice? Over his head hangs the sword of God's justice, and under him hellfire burns. Number nine. The ungodly at death must undergo God's fury and indignation. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Psalm nine seventeen. I have read of a lodestone in Ethiopia which has two corners. With one, it attracts iron, and with the other, it repels it. So God has two hands, one of mercy and one of justice. With the one, he will draw the godly to heaven. With the other, he will thrust the sinner to hell. And oh, how dreadful is that place. It is called a fiery lake, Revelation twenty fifteen. A lake to denote the many torments in hell a fiery lake to show their fierceness. Fire is the most torturing element. Strabo, in his geography, mentions a lake in Galilee of such a pestiferous nature that it scalds off the skin of whatever is thrown into it. But alas, that lake is cool compared with this fiery lake into which the damned are thrown. To demonstrate that this fire is terrible, there are two most pernicious qualities in it. Firstly, it is sulfurous. It is mixed with brimstone, Revelation 21, 8, which is unsavory and suffocating. Secondly, 
it is inextinguishable. The wicked shall be choked in the flames, though not consumed. And the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, 10. See the deplorable condition of all ungodly people. In the other world, they shall have a life that always dies and a death that always lives. May this not frighten men off their sins and make them become godly, unless they are resolved to try how hot hellfire is. This has been Book 3, Episode 27 of Puritans Read. We read The Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, Chapter 5 through 6a.